Kingdom Builders is an awesome part of our church. It's giving above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings to expand the kingdom of God. So I don't know if you've heard about Kingdom Builders, but it encompasses different things. Like part of it is expanding our church. So right now we're getting ready to build a new building and expand and make room for more people here in Mesa. And I just want you to know that project is going forward. We're just working with the county on a couple last little details to get our final permits. We're fighting for an extra parking lot exit. It's worth fighting for so that you don't have to wait in parking lot traffic, amen. And then that thing's gonna get built. A lot of you have pledged and you're giving to that and that's sacrificial, but it's making it possible to build the kingdom of God. But maybe you're one of those persons who you're like, I'm, I'm not really interested in buildings. I don't get excited about that, okay? Well, let me talk to you about the missionaries we support all over the globe. We support 22 missionaries around the world um, in Spain, in Italy, in France, Mexico, Mozambique, Egypt, Morocco, Estonia, Thailand, Taiwan, India, Hong Kong, Philippines, the Dominican Republic, Shanghai, and in Latin America, all over the globe, doing what you just heard, spreading the gospel and bringing the truth to people who are lost and need it most. So when you give to Kingdom Builders, you are helping to make that possible. And then maybe you're that person, you're like, well, I don't really care about global missionaries. What about right here? I'll tell you what we're doing right here. We're supporting local outreach in America and our community in Arizona that makes a difference. Like anti-sex trafficking ministries, like Trafficking Hope, that's one of our ministries. OCJ Kids, um, it's a great ministry that supports foster kids and uh, parents who do foster care. OCJ stands for Opportunity, Community, and Justice. And we love these guys. The president of OCJ Kids was at our 1030 service today. Also Teen Challenge, an amazing ministry. Um, Choices Pregnancy Center, which helps moms who are pregnant and in crisis, gives them ultrasounds for free and helps them to choose life. Also Youth Alive and Chi Alpha. So we're supporting all these amazing ministries, and I bring that up. I want you to know about Kingdom Builders because the first week of December is our annual Kingdom Builders miracle offering. That's where we just come and we just give our best offering. We believe God is going to use it and do great things through it. So maybe you've never been a part of that before. I would just ask you to do this. Start praying, ask God how you should give, and then do that. It's really simple. We don't believe in pressuring people into giving or manipulating them into giving or guilt tripping. God loves a cheerful giver. Just ask God, listen to God and do what he says. That's it. If he's blessed you this year, then be generous. If he's leading you to, to step out in faith and sacrifice, do it. Maybe you've never given to kingdom builders before. Uh, maybe you've just been tithing now for a little while. I want you to just be encouraged. Start making this a regular part of your life. Even if it's like a small symbolic amount, like 10 or $20 a month, what that will do is just tie your heart to the mission of Jesus Christ. And you can just pray and say, God, as you bless me more, then I'll give more. And then watch what he does. But maybe uh, you could be challenged to consider making an additional percent of your income go to Kingdom Builders each month. Maybe you could give that extra one, two, three percent of your income to Kingdom Builders, and then God can just do really great things through you. So pray, be praying about that miracle offering coming up the first week of December. Um, maybe you're new to our church and you haven't been a part of this up to this point, man, join in. Yeah. Consider making a pledge that day. You can bring your pledge cards forward that first week and drop them in the offering container as well. We want you to be a part of what God is doing through Kingdom Builders. I love that you're a generous church. Give yourselves a little bit of a, just applause right now. I'm really proud of you.
So this last week we had an election. It was interesting. It's been an interesting process. And I know that some of you might be feeling all different types of feelings. Some of you are feeling maybe excited and full of hope. Others of you feel concerned and you've lost hope. I just want you to know that if that's you, either way, you might have put your hope in the wrong thing. Our hope has never been placed in an elected official. Our hope is always in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it doesn't matter who is in the White House. We know who reigns on the throne, amen. So let's trust the Lord, let's trust the Lord. Let's always put our hope in him first and foremost. Let's be people that honor our governing leaders, whoever they end up being, right? Let's pray for them and conduct ourselves as people of honor. If you receive that, say amen. Amen. How many of you know that we wouldn't have the privilege to vote if it wasn't for those who served in our armed forces, right? So what we want to do is just take a minute to honor our veterans. Veterans Day is coming up this week. So let me do this. If you're online, just put it in the chat. Just, I'm a veteran. But if you're in the room physically in Mesa, can you do this? Can you just stand up right now, please? Can you stand up? All of our veterans, we want to honor you. Thank you. We love you guys. And we appreciate you. You are awesome. Thank you so much. Well, I want to just welcome everyone, everyone who's online, everyone who's in Mesa, and just say I'm glad that you're here. I'm going to go into my message. It's titled Father to the Fatherless. And I want to start out with a pop quiz. We don't usually do this in church, so don't get too anxious, but a little pop quiz. Help me out with this. James 1.27. Here's what it says. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father is fill in the blank. What, what, what do you think it is? Some of you might know this verse, so you know. Don't, don't give it away. <laughs> Others of you are making educated guesses, and I can think about a lot of the guesses you might make, like, you know, uh, regular church attendance. I like that, but that's not it. Giving to kingdom builders. Partial credit, but no. <laughs> regular Bible reading and prayer. That's not it either. Here's what it actually says. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father is caring for orphans and widows in their distress. This is what God really cares about. He cares about orphans and widows and the vulnerable. They're very dear to God's heart. You could read all the Bible studies in the world, go through all Joyce Meyer's study plans. You could go to church every single time the doors are open. You could listen to 20 church podcasts a week. You could memorize every inspirational Joel Osteen quote ever. But that is not what pleases God. What he really cares about, genuine, pure religion, is caring for orphans. That's what's really dear to God's heart. If you miss that, you could miss what is dear to God's heart. And this isn't just one verse. This is a theme throughout scripture. Here's what it says in Exodus 22. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner. And a foreigner is kind of like an immigrant. For you were foreigners in Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword. This is probably the most intense verse in the whole Bible. Let's just say. <laughs> and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. <laughs> if you lend money to one of my people among you who is poor, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. So here you see four people, theologians call the quartet, of the vulnerable that God identifies and he really cares about. The foreigner or the immigrant, the widow, the fatherless, and the poor. A little pastor, pastor tip for the week. 
don't mess with the widow or the fatherless or God will jack you up, right? Don't do it. He really cares about him. Uh, God says, if you love them, then you're loving me. And if you mistreat them, it's not going to go well for you. When we talk about immigrants and the poor, oftentimes our minds jump to political policy. And I want you to understand that it's okay for you to have a political policy that you support, a position that you support, but your people position should always be love. We love people. That's what we do as God's people. Our citizenship is not to the America first, right? It's to the kingdom of God primarily. And in God's kingdom, we love the vulnerable. Jesus intentionally allowed himself to become a vulnerable person to remind us that we should love the vulnerable. You realize that Jesus was an immigrant? His family fled to Egypt as refugees to avoid the persecution of King Herod who wanted to kill him uh, and his family. Jesus was a refugee. He was also adopted. Jesus was adopted. Joseph was not his biological father. Like he went on Jerry Springer and they're like, you're not the father. And everyone was like, ah. Oh! And then like Joseph said, I'm going to adopt you anyway and take you into my family and raise you as my own. And then we know that Jesus was at least relatively poor. Throughout his ministry, he wasn't funded by you know, like a trust fund that he brought from heaven, but rather the donation of generous men and women who supported his ministry. He allowed himself to be vulnerable to remind us that we should love the vulnerable. Our God has a heart for these people. Our God, in case you don't know him, is a defender of the weak. He provides for the poor. He frees the prisoner. He welcomes the outsider, and he cares for the vulnerable. Here's what it says in Psalm 68. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Here's what he is. Father to the fatherless. Defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. That's so powerful. You remember a time before Christ, maybe you felt lonely, but God brought you into his family, gave you a church community, gave you a life group, gave you people to support you, puts you in a family, and he sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. He calls himself father to the fatherless. You know that fatherlessness is the number one contributor to the problems of our society. It is the number one cause of crime and homelessness and poverty and unwed pregnancy and the ongoing continuation of future fatherlessness. God is passionate about the orphan, those who are fatherless, because God loves people and orphans are the world's most hurting people. Every night, millions of them go to bed without a parent to love them or care for their needs. Statistically, it's estimated there are 144 million orphans in the world. If they were their own nation, it would be the eighth largest country in the world tied with Russia. In the United States, there are an estimated 400,000 kids in foster care. And 100,000 of them are waiting to be adopted by someone. Let's talk about Arizona, our community. Arizona, listen church, leads the nation in foster kids per capita. We lead the nation in foster kids per capita. There are currently about 14,000 kids in foster care in Arizona. 
but only 4,500 licensed foster families. One of our church family was serving this morning. She works for DCS. She told me that over the weekend in the Maricopa County Transition Center, there were 29 kids waiting for a home to be placed. And there's a total shortage. The system is overwhelmed. Uh, each year, about 800 of these kids turn 18 and age out of the system. And when that happens, they basically get a brochure. Here's how to apply for food stamps. Good luck. You're on your own. How many of you would have done well in that situation? Well, by 24, half of them end up homeless who age out. Six out of 10 of the boys end up convicted of a crime. And seven out of 10 of the girls end up pregnant by the age of 21. I believe that God wants to birth a movement that moves his heart. I believe that God wants Generation Church to step in and love the fatherless in a big way. I told you I had an announcement. We're starting a new ministry called Chosen, the Foster and Adoption Ministry of Generation Church. I'm so excited about this. Our church wants to make a difference. We want to love those who are in need and vulnerable, who need it the most. Do you realize that if every church in Arizona adopted two kids out of foster care, there would instantly be no more need for long-term foster care? The thing is, not every church can, and not every church will. But I'll tell you what, we can, and we will, and we'll do a lot more than that. I believe that we will see hundreds of kids running the halls of these churches, our church, in the next couple of years to come uh, who are being raised in love by families in our church. I believe God wants to stir something up inside of us that makes a difference in a tangible way. We're going to do it, support it, believe for it, and see God do miracles through this effort. God prophesies that he would become an adoptive father to the very people who rejected him. In Hosea chapter two, verse 23, God says this, I will show love to those I called not loved, and to those I called not my people, I will say, now you are my people. And they will reply, you are our God. God says to, to people, he said, there was a time when you rejected me, but nonetheless, I've chosen you. We all know that it hurts to be rejected, right? It hurts. I mean, I think everyone has probably experienced some type of rejection. Like maybe someone broke up with you in high school and it broke your heart, right? Or maybe it was more serious. Like maybe someone divorced you, left you, uh, broke their promise. Maybe someone abandoned you, didn't love you the way that they should have. And being rejected hurts. Many times the children who have been adopted or fostered wrestle with feelings of rejection or abandonment. One thing that many people don't realize is most of those kids' parents their biological parents do love them, but just couldn't raise them because of circumstances for various reasons. But the sad truth is, the reality is, sometimes there are people who don't want to raise their biological children. That's just a fact of life. There are some people who don't want to raise their kids. There are people in our church who don't want to raise their own kids. Like, I hear you talking sometimes. You're like, I don't, really, I don't really want to, but what are you going to do? I think we've all been rejected. We've all had people let us down. We've all had people who said, I'll be here for you forever, turn their back on us. It really hurts. But I want you to know good news. Your identity is not found in who has rejected you, but in who has chosen you, yeah. right? Not who's left your life, but who steps into your life. Yeah. 
And I'll tell you what, for every believer in Jesus, God has chosen you. You are a child of God and he has chosen you. God has chosen this church to make a difference for those who need it. God has chosen many of the families in Generation Church to become foster families or adoptive families. And I believe that God has chosen specific kids. He already knows their names and they're either gonna be fostered or adopted by families in this church. And whether they come here for a season or forever, we're gonna love them and we're gonna cherish them because they're chosen by God. So Amy and I adopted our daughter, Lila, and we uh, struggle with unexplained infertility. Yeah, it's unexplained. And uh, the thing about infertility is it's a weird experience. It really is. Like there's all kinds of emotions and feelings and questions. And people say really weird things to you sometimes. You know, like they mean well, but they say things. But let's just be honest, kind of rude sometimes. You know, and you learn, you learn not to be offended. I, I, I'm, a belie- I'm a big believer in that. Like we shouldn't be easily offended. We shouldn't go around looking to get our little feelings hurt. But sometimes people say some things to you and it's like, wow, wow. Wow. And I've developed thick skin, very thick skin, like very thick. My pants are getting tighter. The thick, (laughs) thick skin, right? But fortunately, God blessed us with our daughter. We thank the Lord for our daughter. She is such a gift and she's so fun. I just want you all to realize adoption is so fun. It is amazing. We have so many fun experiences. Like, like this, Amy will take Lila shopping with her to Target, and the cashier will be like, girl, you look good for having that little baby. <laughs> Amy will be like, thanks. Right? I'm like, you don't got to explain yourself. You do look good. Just own it, girl, right? It's, all, it's fun. It's great. People often think the goal for those who struggle with infertility is to get pregnant. But that should never be the goal. The goal is for God's will to be done. And the reason that we adopted our daughter was not because of infertility, it was because of theology. We distinctly felt that God was calling us to adoption and that God was also going to work through this experience to stir something up in our church. God's preferred analogy for what he has done for you is adoption. That is his preferred picture of salvation. It is adoption. Romans 8.15 says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's what God has done. Here's what Jesus said to non-believers when he was on this earth. He said, Your father is the devil. But then the Bible says when you put your faith in Jesus, your father becomes God in heaven. Well, how is it possible to switch fathers? By adoption. We have people in our church who've done international adoption. It's amazing. Uh, And anyone who's done international adoption knows you make two trips. The first trip, you go overseas, and you have to fulfill all the legal requirements for the adoption. you got to fill out tons of paperwork. you got to pay your hefty adoption fees. And then you have to come back on a second trip to actually bring the child home. Do you realize that Jesus is making two trips? On the first trip, he came, and he fulfilled all the legal requirements for you to be adopted into God's family. He paid the hefty price for your salvation. And he said, I'm not abandoning you as orphans. Do you know that? Jesus is coming back a second time, and when he comes back again, it's to bring us home. There are people who told me 
you know, Ryan, when you become a father at some point, it's going to really help you understand God's love even better. And, and when people would say that to me, can I just be honest? I was always like, shut up. <laughs> like, I'm a pastor. I have a theology degree. I understand God's love. But you know what I found out is they were right. <laughs> they were totally right. It's true. You know? and, and one of the ways that I actually did feel like I, I, I grew in understanding of God's love was through our baby monitor. Yeah, we have like this baby monitor. Here's a Here's what it looks like. We have this little video camera that's above Lila in her crib, and, and we have an app on her phone, and it will give us an alert if she makes noise or, or moves. And every once in a while, you know, we'll check on her while she's sleeping, of course, because we want to make sure she's okay. And I, and I started thinking how funny this is. Like, I'll put her down for a nap. We'll put her down for bed at night. And, you know, when we leave, she kind of does that baby thing. She kind of cries, like, no, don't go. You're the best. No, she doesn't say that, but that's what I imagine she's saying. And... and she doesn't understand that when we leave the room, we're still her parents and we still care about her. She doesn't even have the cognitive capacity to understand that we can still see her, that we're not in the room with her, but we're still watching her. And she doesn't realize how often while she's sleeping, we're pulling up that app, we're checking on her, we're making sure the temperature's okay, we're making sure she's okay because we love her so much. You know, one night we were watching TV. We had put her to bed for the night. It was like 11 p.m., and I did that thing. I pulled my, my phone out. I opened the app up to check on Lila, and, and as I looked at the feed, I saw like kind of this glowing blob on, on the image, and I was like, what? What is this? You know, you like... What, what is this? It doesn't, what is that? And it was kind of like floating and moving. And I'm like, I don't, what, what is this thing? I'm trying to figure it out. And then it started to kind of come into focus. And all of a sudden I started to make out the spindly legs of a spider. There was a giant spider hanging from the video camera directly above my baby's head. I exploded up from the couch. My blanket is flying. I knocked my drink over. Amy is like freaked out. I yell and I am running down the hallway. I'm just like, hold on, baby. Right? Like, and in my brain, like the soundtrack for the bodyguard is playing. It's like, and I will always love you. Oh, yeah, I'm like, coming, baby. I'm coming, baby. Right? Like, I'm not messing around. Like, I am terrified. I barge in the door and I slam the lights on and I run over to the baby's crib and I'm just like no God not today devil <laughs> and when I pull my hands back to look that spider was like this it, it was like a baby spider right it looked big because it was all close up to the camera but it was actually like the little, little baby spider <laughs> I mean, I feel like the Lord showed me so much throughout this experience that there are so many times in our lives when we just wonder, like, God, do you even care about what I'm going through? I'm struggling down here. And we cry out to God, like, why have you let me go through this, right? Like, why are you allowing me to face this struggle that I'm going through? And we don't even realize that God is there the whole time watching us, making sure we're okay. He knows that we're exactly where we need to be. He knows that some of the things that we go through and cry about are exactly what we need in the moment. 
And we don't even realize that God is our protector and defender. He is with us when we don't even realize it. And he's protecting us from threats. We don't even have the capacity to understand. The things that look so big and scary to us are just little bugs for God to smash. Our God is our defender and he's always with us. He's a father who loves us and cares for all of our needs. It's true. I think being a father helps you understand God's love. But I want you to understand something. The more you understand adoption, the more you'll understand the Christian life. It will take your understanding to another level. Let me explain what I mean. First, adoption changes your identity. There are a lot of Christians who walk around like, who am I? Like, like what's my identity? What defines me? And, and this causes them to struggle. You need to know that when I adopted my daughter, she didn't just get a new family. She got a new name. Her identity changed. And some of you are walking around with a false identity. Like, oh, I'm just a dirty old sinner. And I want you to know, no, you're not. You have a new name. Your identity is not determined by what you did. Right? You're not known as a divorcee or an alcoholic or someone who was convicted of a crime or someone who had an abortion or someone who's made a mess of their life. Your identity is found in who has chosen you. God has chosen you and you're named after your true father. You're a child of God because of adoption. Here's the next thing. Adoption changes your confidence. It gives you confidence. I mean, so many Christians who struggle with insecurity. They don't feel like they belong. They oftentimes don't feel like they're good enough. These are the Christians who they almost sneak into church on Sundays, kind of sneak in the back door. Like, I don't want God to notice I'm here. He might get me with a lightning bolt. They're the Christians that won't join a life group because then people might actually get to know them. And if they're, if they're found out, they might be kicked out because of the things that they still struggle with. They're insecure. And there are a few things sadder to me than a Christian who lacks confidence. In Galatians 4, here's what it says. But when the right time came, God sent his son... God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Amen. His very own children. I want to emphasize that. One time after we got our daughter and brought her home, someone came up to us and, and totally meant well, uh, didn't mean anything by it, but just said this. She said, I'm so glad for you guys that you got your baby, but I'm still praying that you'll have a child of your own. I was like, a child of our own? Well, what, what, is, what is our daughter? You should pray, because I'm going to give you a black eye of your own. <laughs> like, right? like, she is our own daughter. I'm her real father. Like, you got to understand adoption. If I'm not her real father, then God's not your real father. Through adoption... I am her father, and through adoption, God is your father. And there are a lot of Christians, they hear that, like, well, we're all God's children, and they think that sounds nice, but they don't have the confidence of a child of God. They still think like a slave to the law. The law was God's standard of righteousness and perfection that you could never and will never be able to meet. And if you think like a slave, you'll always look at the law as your standard and you'll never measure up and you'll never feel good enough. You got to stop thinking like a slave and start thinking like a son. 
A son knows I am God's own child. I don't have to earn my position. My position is not determined by what I do, but by who I am. I'm a child of God and I belong here. Thank God for adoption. Adoption also changes your inheritance. You know, when I graduated from college, I opened a Roth IRA and I started saving a little bit out of each paycheck. And over time, it grew. It grew and, and I got to buy a house with the VA loan. It was awesome. And you know, if things continue, like over time, hopefully at some point, like I have a good inheritance for my daughter. You realize she did not do anything to earn that. She didn't do anything other than become my daughter. Here's what it says in Galatians 4, verse 6. Because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. His heir. You are now legally entitled to the inheritance that Jesus has secured for you through his perfect righteousness. Some of you really struggle to accept God's love. Some of you really struggle to believe that God could actually like you. You struggle to believe that God might actually show you favor. You hear that he can bless people and you think, I bet that's true, but you don't believe that he'll do it for you. That's because you don't understand that the inheritance that Jesus has made available to you is not something that you earn, it's something that you are legally entitled to through adoption because of what Jesus has done. You have all the legal rights as a child of God. You are the recipient of a reward that you didn't earn because of adoption. And here's the last thing. Adoption creates unity out of diversity. It gives us the ability to all be one. Not all the same, but one. I want to show you a picture of my friends, the Howertons. This is Josh and Jana, and then their kids, Eliana and Felicity and Hudson. And they're dear friends of ours, and God really spoke through them to Amy um, and me and influenced our journey about adoption and what we were going to go through. And, and I wanted to just kind of highlight something here. You'll notice when you look at this family that they're not all the same. One of them's a redhead. <laughs> They're not all the same, but they are one. They are one. They are united in name. They are united in love. And we have been also made one through Jesus Christ. The body of Christ is a diverse body. It's a diverse family. People from all different backgrounds, ethnicities, skin colors, political opinions, socioeconomic classes, but we come together and we're made one in Jesus Christ. It says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's how you become adopted, through faith in Christ Jesus. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. People, they hear a verse like that and they're like, mm. amen. Until the next election. Until the next racial flare-up, the next cultural divide. It's one thing to say we're one in Christ Jesus, but oftentimes when tensions rise, people revert back to focusing on their secondary identities. First and foremost, 
we are children of God. And we are made one in Christ Jesus. And because of our faith in him, we are united. Christianity is not a social club for Sundays. It is a family you belong to for eternity. Adoption makes us one. Not the same, but one. I want to just close by talking about Lila's adoption day, our daughter's adoption day. It was such a great day. We got to celebrate this day. And she's actually going to help me preach this part of my sermon. Hey. Hey, sweet girl. Hey, precious baby. She's going to help me with this part. So she lived in our... uh, house for a while, and in our hearts, she was already our daughter, but on this day, she legally became our daughter. And uh, because of COVID, we didn't go to a courthouse, but we did a Zoom call with the judge and our caseworker and stuff. And, and when we were on this call, this part right here, you know, we have our hands raised because this was a quick moment, but it was very significant legally. Here's what the judge said. The judge said, the child's name shall legally be changed to Lila Beth Visconti. And then she asked us questions. She asked us as, as the adopting parents. She said, do you understand that henceforth she will have the right to inheritance from you? And we said, we do. And then the judge asked us, do you accept responsibility for this child spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally? And we said, absolutely, we do. And I just want you to think about this and understand what happens when you got saved through faith in Jesus Christ. God the Father said, henceforth, the people who were known as not my people shall be known as sons and daughters of the living God. That's right. And God said to Jesus, do you understand that henceforth, that he or she will have the right to legally inherit the reward that you have earned. And Jesus said, I do. And God asked Jesus, do you assume responsibility for him or her legally, financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically, in every possible way? And Jesus said, you know it. God made you a part of his family through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. There could be people here tonight, there could be people online who'd say, I want to be adopted into God's family. Isn't this the the cutest sermon illustration that there has ever been? Yeah. Maybe there's someone here that says, I want to become a part of God's family. You need to know how how that's possible. It's by trusting in Jesus that he is God's son that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose again so you could have eternal life. You don't have to understand everything that's in the Bible. You don't have to have all your questions answered yet. All you have to do is trust in those things, and God will take care of the rest. This is not the finish line, but it's the beginning of your journey and your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do is just have us bow our heads and close our eyes right now. And if you're here and you're saying, man, I want to be adopted into God's family. I want to accept Jesus and know that I'm a child of God. Then I'm going to invite you to just pray this prayer with me right now. Just say, God, I want to be adopted into your family. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose again so that I could have victory and eternal life. I want to follow you from this day forward. And I thank you for loving me in Jesus' name. Amen.